Good morning, church. You may be seated. Hey, this morning, we actually have a treat. I've never called a six-foot-five man a treat before, but uh, we have a treat. Dr. Dale Garland is going to be um, sharing the word with us this, message, this morning, and here's a connection to, to Dr. Garland that you may or may not know. Gospel Community Church, we've been praying for them, and we've been talking about them. Uh, Michael Flynn came on Wednesday, and uh, Wednesday worship night, and shared with us that church that we're partnering with other churches to plant in Winchester, California. Does that sound familiar? Yes? Good? Dr. Garland's church is the mother church. So they're actually the ones that trained and discipled Pastor Flynn, and then they are the primary church that is sending them out. So when we partner with other churches, we're partnering with Dr. Garland's church. And so um, let me just tell you this too. So they're from Hemet, California. So he's calling me a sissy because I'm whining about this heat. So just, just want to let you know. But Dr. Garland, why don't you come on up? We're going to invite you to share. He's going to continue our study walking through John. And we are great, right. grateful to have you this morning, sir. All right. Thank you. All right. Let's get something straight. Don't call me Dr. Garland. I'm Dale. Okay. Anyway, uh, let's talk to God. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would speak to our hearts today, that we would hear from you. God, right now I just pray that your Holy Spirit would touch our lives and as as a result of being here today, we would grow a little closer to you. And Lord, if there's somebody here who hasn't yet trusted you, that today your Spirit would touch their hearts and they would turn to you. And Lord, we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. By the way, there's a secret. The air can on the stage works. I just thought I'd pass that out. Pass. All right. Um, if you want to understand the ministry of Jesus, you need to know that there's one fact, and that one fact is that Jesus came to establish the kingdom of God. Many of his parables had to do with the kingdom of God. Uh, in the book of Mark, it records that right, at, right out of the gate, after his baptism and 40 days in the wilderness, It says that Jesus went to Galilee preaching, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news. In the book of Acts, it records that after he rose from the dead, Jesus appeared to the apostles over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. This is his primary message. I know some of you are like, well, what about that whole death and resurrection thing and the salvation thing? It's all part of the kingdom of God. His message, the reason he came was to establish the kingdom of God here on earth. Now, my, my story, well, in our, uh, in our church, we've been having different people tell their story every week. And so we've got three services, and so we film it, and it goes up on the screen, and they tell their story. I'm going to tell you a little bit about my story to introduce, introduce this kingdom of God. Uh, I uh, lived across the street, grew up for 12 years in Anaheim, California. I lived across the street from Crescent Southern Baptist Church. I think it's a Sandals Church or something now. But anyway, I lived right across the street from that. Grew up going to, to Sunday school and vacation Bible school. My mom sang in the choir. My dad didn't really go to church much. And I actually stopped going to Sunday school when I was a little kid because I couldn't read. I'm, I'm dyslexic. And so I couldn't read, and they always made me read in Sunday school. So because my dad stayed home, I just said, hey, I don't want to go to Sunday school anymore. So Sunday school teachers, don't make your kids read. You want them to hear about Jesus, okay? Just saying that. Anyway, 
When I was about 10, uh, I figured I didn't want to go to hell, and so I went up, walked up front to, you had the altar call, and I went up and talked to the pastor. I don't really remember saying a prayer, but I probably did, and on an Easter Sunday, I got baptized. Uh, that's right around the same time that my parents separated. My dad moved out of the house and lived in a, a hotel, and my mom stayed at home, and uh, she had started to drink, and, and her drinking started to grow a little bit more from there. Uh, when I was 12 years old, we moved out of the house. I moved with my mom. We moved back to Iowa, which was where my parents were from. My dad stayed out here in California. So for a year, I lived in, in, in Iowa, this little tiny small town of about 425 people. It's called New Virginia, Iowa, about 35 miles south of Des Moines on I-35. And we had... Uh, in the middle of town, a water tower. Now, all little towns in Iowa have a water tower with their name on it, and that way you know what town you're in. Um, and so you had this water tower, and on top of the water tower, there was a, a siren. And the siren would go off every morning, about 7 o'clock in the morning, uh, noon, and about 6 o'clock in the evening, I think it's what, what it was. I guess it kind of let all the farmers around know what time it was. If they heard the siren, then they would come in from the fields and eat or something. It was explained to me a long time ago. Something like that. Anyway, uh, I've got to gather my thoughts because I, I want to get this. When I was, uh, school was over. I'd been there a year. It had just ended uh, like I said, my mom struggled with some, some alcoholism and my sister, who'd moved back there with us, uh, got in an argument with my mother. And I, it was over the, my mom drinking. And I remember I was standing in the kitchen and my mom took a can and threw it across the kitchen at my sister. Mister, but I just didn't want any part of that and I just left. I just walked out of the house. I walked uptown to play basketball and I waited until things would calm down and I came back. When I got back, I heard that my sister had moved out of the house, that she decided she didn't want to live there anymore. And uh, so I sat down, it was probably about 9 o'clock, or until 9 o'clock, watching some TV with my mom, and she said, it's time for you to go take your bath, and I went back into the, the bathroom to take my bath, and I heard my mother scream. I got up and I uh, dried off and put on my pajamas, and I, I ran out and just just in time to hear the door slam and she got in the car and I heard the tires spin in the driveway. I ran over to the window and could see the taillights heading out toward what we called the Mile Corner. Uh, in New Virginia there were two main streets in town. They were both uh, state highways and they crossed in the middle of town. We lived kind of on the outskirts of town and there was a corner a mile away from where those streets crossed. And I, I saw the taillights heading out towards that mile corner. And I sat there and waited, looking out this picture window, knowing that she was going to come home. And I, but, I, but I prayed, God, God, just be with my mom. Take care of her. Help her. Let her come home. About 3 o'clock in the morning, I had started to fall asleep. I went back into my bedroom and went to bed. That siren went off at 6 o'clock in the morning, not 7. I got up. Uh, figuring that I would go in and see my mom and, and she would again 
kind of it was the, uh, the way things happened. Usually around our house, she would do something dumb. I would go in, she would tell me how sorry she was. She wasn't going to do it again. And, and so I figured I would go in and she would be okay. But she wasn't there. I again started praying, God, let her be okay. God, just let her be okay. A little while later, my aunt came. And uh, she said, I want you to come out to me. My aunt lived on, on a farm outside of town. She said, I want you to come out to my house. I got in the car. We headed out. And my aunt said, your mother's been in a little accident. I said, well, is she dead? And I was expecting her to say, no. But she's in the hospital. But she said, yeah. And I just screamed. And I was so mad at God because He didn't answer my prayer. Well, my anger with God grew and it eventually turned into doubt and I started doubting really the existence of a God. By the time I was in college, I was calling myself an atheist. I was living according to the world's rules, which were to look after yourself because no one else will. Love those who love you and hate those who hate you. Do whatever makes you happy, whatever floats your boat, whatever flutters your butter. He who dies with the most toys wins. You deserve to indulge yourself a little. And winning isn't everything, it's the only thing. While I was at San Diego State, I was sitting in front of Love Library. And a couple of guys came up and they wanted to talk about spiritual things. They had a little spiritual law booklet and they wanted to tell me about Jesus. And I said, sure, I'll, I'll listen. Uh, in the course of the conversation, this guy had the Bible and I was kind of picking a fight. And so I said, what would you do if... I took the Bible out of your hands right now and burned it right here in the middle of this table. And uh, he looked at me and he said, well, nothing, you're a lot bigger than I am. <laughs> and it just completely disarmed me. I mean, I, I was expecting, I was going to try to prove that he was worshiping this book and then he didn't respond the way I thought he was going to respond and I, I just kind of disarmed me. And, and so I started what he had to say. And he said, what if, uh, he says, first of all, he says, what if you're right? And I'm wrong. And, and there really is no God. And I said, well, then I guess you're going to spend a lot of your time wasting a lot of your time going to church and things like that. And he said, okay, I'll give you that. He says, now what if I'm right and you're wrong? What then? Well, I'd been to church enough to know that if I was wrong, if there really was a God, I was going to hell. And so he said, have you really researched this? And I was being honest. I said, no, not really. I've thought about it, but I haven't researched it. He says, something that important, shouldn't you at least research? Shouldn't you look into it? And I said, yeah. So for the next two weeks, I spent my time in the library. We're going to get together in one week, but I was in the middle of my research. After the one week, I made some excuse so that we could get together in two weeks. And uh, I had spent my time researching. I was in the library more than probably the rest of school 
took me five and a half years to get my four-year degree anyway. But I mean, I, I just jumped into this because I had to know. And I came to the conclusion that he was right, that God was real. Uh, but because of the decision that I made when I was 10, I figured, okay, I'm still okay. Like, I got baptized in everything, right? I figured I was still okay. And I went about living my life. Until one day, I'd gone home from uh, college. I lived in Beaumont, California. I don't know if anybody knows where that is. It's about two hours away from San Diego State, which is in San Diego, obviously. And so I uh, had gone home, and a friend of mine... Uh, on that Sunday, I was getting ready to go back, and I stopped by his house, and he, he had been acting real weird, because he was my partying buddy. We used to, like, smoke pot together and drink and chase girls and that kind of stuff, and, and all of a sudden, he's not doing that stuff anymore, and I kept saying, what's wrong? And he wouldn't tell me, and so finally, on this day, it was an Easter Sunday, I was getting ready to go back to San Diego State, and he gives me a card, and he says, I'm soon going to be able to tell you, and so I'm not good with soon. I'm, like, starting to guess, and so right out of my mouth, I said, what, are you going to become a monk? And he said, yeah, kind of like that. He says, I'm going to become a Catholic priest. And it blew me away. And so I piped up. I said, well, well, I'm a Christian. And he said, no, you're not. And I said, how do you know what I am? He says, I can tell by the way you live. And he quoted this passage from Matthew chapter 7 that says that people are going to come to Jesus on the day of to name all of these things that they've done in his name. I've cast out demons in your name and I've performed miracles in your name and all of those kind of things. And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. And it was like he had just slugged me in the gut. I held it together long enough to get out to my car and I started back to San Diego State. And I just bawled. I just bawled. Uh, somewhere between... Beaumont and San Diego State, I think I was driving through this little town called Rainbow, which was on the old 395. I said, God, I want you to come into my life and I want you to change me from the inside out. And God came in. And on April 15th, 1979, I turned the will of my life over to Jesus and that's when I became a citizen of the kingdom of God. You see, the kingdom of God is where God rules and reigns. It stands in contrast to the kingdom of this world. The phrase kingdom of God, or kingdom of heaven, it's the same thing, appears 106 times in the New Testament. 84 of those are direct quotes of Jesus. It was his ministry. He said in John 18, My kingdom is not of this world, but my kingdom is from another place. John said, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father but from the world. James, that's James the brother of Jesus, says this, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. And in Romans 12, Paul says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We become a citizen of the kingdom of God as soon as we trust Christ. But we won't experience the kingdom of God in its fullness until we die. Or until Jesus returns. Until then, we live in the world and we have a choice of the rules and guidelines that we're going to follow. The worlds are God's. I've been on both sides. I've lived in the world. I've followed the world's rules. And I can tell you, man, that's a mess compared to living according to grace that God grants us. The rules of Scripture are really opposite of the world, rules of the world. The rules of the world says me first. The rules of Scripture says everybody else first. God and everybody else first. You see, the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world is what we love. In the world, we're motivated by self-love. In God's kingdom, we're motivated by our love for God and our love for others. Today, Jesus is going to show us what greatness in the kingdom of God really is. And so if you're sitting here thinking, man, is he about done? That's just the introduction. Okay. Here we go. John chapter 13, verse 1. If you're, I'd encourage you to open your Bible and follow along, but I, I did, in real small little tiny print, hand out this passage to you. I'm going to be reading out of the NIV version because I'm dyslexic and it reads easier for me. It's not because I think it's the better translation. But that's what I'm going to be reading out of, and so you can follow along with me there or in your Bible. Doesn't matter, but follow along anyway. John chapter 13, verse 1 says, it was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave the world and to go to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world. He now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served. The devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Now this just happens to be, be just before the meal where Jesus establishes the Lord's Supper. That's this meal. That's this setting. Let me set the scene for you if I could. Attention is high. Five days ago, Jesus turned the tables over in the temple. And the Jewish religious leaders were determined to kill Jesus and they've already struck a deal with Judas Iscariot to find Jesus. Jesus and his disciples had traveled that day six miles from Bethany 
to Jerusalem, where the population is swelled from 40,000 to 250,000 for the holiday. They're meeting in the home of a wealthy man. The reason I know it's a home of a wealthy man is because they're in the upper room, so it had an upper room, it was furnished, and it could hold 13 men. That wasn't a normal house. This guy had money. Jesus and his disciples are sitting or reclining on the floor around the table. It's what they did, kind of boho style. They put the, the table out, it was low to the ground, you didn't have chairs, you used floor. You can imagine if these guys sitting on the floor, kind of reclining, laying back, where are they putting their feet? You get it, you get the picture. Now you have to understand that washing feet would have been essential. These guys had just walked six miles on dirt roads wearing sandals. These are the same roads that much of 200,000 people that had come to the city to celebrate the holiday had traveled. Their camels, their horses, their livestock. These are those same roads. Now the 13 men were reclining at the table with their feet next to their neighbor's face and they're about ready to eat. Jesus replies, verse 7, Jesus replied, you don't realize what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Bless Peter's pee-picking little heart, I'll tell you. Uh, Jesus probably thought at this moment, Peter, you're an idiot. That's not what he said, but that's what he had to have been thinking. Verse 10, Jesus answered, A person who has a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you're clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord, your teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor, his, uh, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill the scripture. He who, ha- he who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. I am telling you now before it happens, so that when, he do, when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. I tell you the truth, whoever accepts anyone that I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, I tell you the truth, 
one of you is going to betray me. And his disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which one that he meant. Now this revelation floored the disciples. How could one of them betray him? Now describing the same scene, Luke adds, they began to question among themselves which one of them it might be who would do this. And verse 24, Luke chapter 22 verse 24 says, also a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. I mean like right after the Messiah, God, creator of the universe, takes the position of the lowest servant in the house and washes the poo from between their toes and says, I want you to do this. These knuckleheads start fighting over who's the greatest. I mean, they didn't get it. They didn't understand it. Verse 23, One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, we know that's John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to the disciple and said, ask him which one he means. So you get get the picture. I mean, he's sitting there next to Jesus. He leans back, probably whispers to him, who is it? You know, Peter's sitting on the other side looking at him. And and, and Jesus answers. Uh, Verse 26, Jesus answered, It's the one whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Now I know Jesus probably whispered this back because the rest of the disciples didn't really hear what he was saying. Because it says, Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, son son of Simon. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered him. What you're about to do, do quickly, Jesus told him. And this is how I know he was whispering that. Uh, Verse 28 says, But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the feast or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. That's the passage your pastor gave me to preach today. Now, there are four keys here to understand greatness inside the kingdom of heaven. Now again, when we become Christians, we become citizens of the kingdom of heaven and we can live in the kingdom of heaven now because the kingdom of heaven is where God rules and reigns. And it's important to understand that. And so we have a choice. We're living in the world. We can live according to the world or we can live according to the kingdom. And folks... The kingdom's where you want to be. There are literally Christians today that are struggling with so many issues in their life because they've been living according to the world and not living according to the kingdom. And so we want to be in the kingdom. In fact, I want to be the greatest in the kingdom. And that's what Jesus is demonstrating here with the washing of the feet. So here are the the four keys to the, the greatness in the kingdom of God. Key number one, start by calling sin, sin. I mean, we're good at naming sin, especially as Southern Baptist Christians. We're good at that. Okay? I mean, we know that uh, abortion is sin and homosexuality is sin. And we've got all these sins that we know are sins. But folks, 
Pride and selfishness are sins, and they're every bit as bad, if not worse, than the sins I just mentioned. Luke chapter 9, verse 46 says, An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child, had him stand beside him, and he said to them, Whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me, for he is the least among you all. He who, excuse me, for he who is the least among you all, he is the greatest. And so Jesus is telling us, he sets up this little guy, this kind of basically a little nobody, right? And he's standing, all these disciples thinking they're the greatest, they're the ones who are arguing, and Jesus says, hey, this is the guy who's the greatest because he's the least. And he's a little kid. Man, sometimes we get this cocky little attitude that says, you know, well, I'm not doing any of those sins. And I say, stop it. Just stop it. Pride and selfishness are, are the worst. They're the dirty little sins. I mean, God, when I first got saved, God cleaned the, the grubby sins off of me, you know, the, the, the things on the outside, so that he could get to the dirty ones. You know, I stopped smoking pot, I stopped uh, drinking, I've been sober now since 1980. Um, but man, now he wanted to get on the inside of me. And that's that pride and that selfishness and that arrogance. Philippians chapter 2 verse 3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only at your own interests, but also at the interests of others. Okay, here's the second key to understanding greatness in the kingdom of God, and that is to choose last first. If you're taking notes, most of you probably aren't because you're waving those things in front of your face. But if you're taking notes, this is uh, last and first are the blanks. Choose last first. Put yourself last. That's all it's saying. When you go to the grocery store, how many of you drive around to see the, the closest parking spot? Fact is, when you park there, that means some little grandma's trekking all the way from the back because that's where she had to park because you took the first one. By the way, if you're the little grandma, go ahead and park in the front, okay? <laughs> but if that's not you, man, park in the back. Choose last first. Everything that you do. When they're having the potluck. Now, this is what happens. When they're having the potluck and you're all Christians, you're all going to stand around. No, you go first. No, you go first. I sometimes. But choose last first. Luke chapter 22, verse 25. Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you're not like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. That's who we are. That's what it's like in the kingdom of God. Okay, third one. This is going to change your lives. Listen, how many of you guys are married? Just see, show of hands. Okay, you married people, this next point will change your life. Unless you're already doing it. If you're already doing it, then you're good. Here's the point. Commit to outserving our family, friends, and others. 
You want to be the better servant in your house. Could you imagine what your house is going to be like if uh, you're just trying to serve everybody in the house, doing whatever you can to, to help them and encourage them and, and, and meet their needs? And yet, the person that their needs are doing the same thing? And everybody's trying to serve everybody? Man, sign me up. I want to live in that house, okay? But, but that's, that's it. That's the kingdom of God. That's what happens in the kingdom of God if you live in the kingdom of God. Could you imagine the peace in a house like that? Nobody griping and complaining? I, my doctor's degree is in the area of marriage and family counseling. I do a lot of marriage counseling. And so often I'll have somebody come in uh, and I counsel, I don't counsel couples together because then they just fight and I hate watching people fight. So I counsel them ind- independently from one another. And so often they'll come in and I'll say, okay, this is what you've got to do. You gotta st- sir, you've got to start loving your wife like she needs to be loved. Sacrificially, as the Bible says. Or I'll say, ma'am, what you've got to do is, boy, you've got to respect your husband. You've got to reach out and, and you've got to do whatever you can to meet his needs. And almost always, one of them will say something like, well, yeah, if I do that, they'll just take advantage of it. That's the world. That's the world that's saying that. And you've bought into the world. Start buying into the kingdom of God and everything changes. I promise you. Relationships spiral down or they spiral up. A lot of relationships are spiraling down this way. Because, well, I want him to love me, so I'm not going to love him, and he, then he's not going to love me because he's not being loved, and I'm not going to love him, and, and it goes back and forth and back and forth, and it spirals down. But you can turn that relationship spiral upwards. All you have to do is totally commit to outserving your spouse. Mark chapter 10, verse 35 says, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, Let one of us sit on your right and the other on your left in your glory. By the way, how arrogant is that? How many times? I mean, I mean these guys come and say, I want you to do whatever you... I mean, this is God creator of the universe. Give me what I want. And as we sit here and, and judge them, how many times have we gone to God and said the same thing? Give me what I want. This is what I want, God. They replied, Let one of us sit on your right and the other on your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them all together. Of course they became indignant with James and John. These guys are trying to one-up the other guys, right? Gimme, gimme, gimme is what they're saying. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. 
Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Verse 44. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. When I was a little kid, my dad had the chair. Anybody's dad had a chair? If you were in his chair, you just got up out of the chair. That's what you did, right? And that's what we should do. I mean, that's a respect for our father. But could you imagine... Someday if your dad walks in to want to sit in the chair and, and he looks and he says, no, no, you stay there. Would that blow your mind? <laughs> yeah, that's the kind of dad I want to be. Here's the last one. I have no idea what time I'm supposed to be done, so I'm just going to take another 30 minutes and we're done. Fair? Okay. Here's the last one. Don't try to be the greatest that you can be. Try to be the best Jesus you can be. In our passage today, verse 13 says, You call me teacher and Lord, rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. If you want to know how you should act, it's pretty simple. Just read the Bible and do what Jesus does. That's it. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, the Apostle Paul writes... You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So let me wrap it up. The kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is not just a place that you're going to go when you die. It's a place that you're actually citizens of right now. And you can live in that kingdom if you follow its rules. The rules aren't hard. The rules are, I'm going to love God more than I love myself. And I'm going to love you more than I love myself. That's it. That, I mean, we think there's a whole bunch of rules, by the way, in the Bible, don't we? There are 613 rules in the Old Testament. 613 laws. When Jesus came, he, he fulfilled all of those laws. He brought them to a close. That's what fulfill means. He, if, if it was an airplane, he would bring it to the landing. He would land it. He, he closed it out at that point. And he left you with this one. God and love your neighbor. Above yourself. The world's rules you'll find on TV, the internet, YouTube. You want to know what's going wrong with our society? I think too much internet. 
We're watching everybody else's opinion and we're starting to adjust our lives to fit those opinions. Okay, I'm going to go to preaching right now. thing that drives me nuts are Republicans and Democrats. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because here's what Republicans and Democrats do. Republicans and Democrats, they buy into their political position. And then they, if they're Christians, they turn to the Bible and they try to find verses and try to interpret verses to meet what they think. I, the, the same people that were, were praising me when I, when I was preaching uh, racial justice are the same people that are griping about the fact that I'm happy about the ruling on Roe Ro versus Wade. Because they bought into their political position and their Bible study isn't Bible study at all. They're just looking at how they can fit, how they can uh, put things together to fit their political position. I've actually had people quote two, two passages, well one passage anyway, as to why we should build a wall. They, they say, well, they built a wall. Yeah, and uh, Joshua, they tore it down. I'm just saying. But, but, but we, we try to go to the Bible and get it to fit our politics. Don't do that! Why don't you just start with the Bible? Start there. And let me tell you, if you're 100% Republican or 100% Democrat, I promise you, you've started in the wrong place. Okay, I'm done preaching. <laughs> the world's, world's rules are found in TV and the Internet and YouTube and Facebook and TikTok and Twitter and Instagram and all of those other forms of communication that the world offers. We look at the Bible and Jesus teaches us how to be good citizens in the kingdom of God. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, you have to put God and others above yourself. And I am done. Hey, one last thing though. I know you... I am a true Southern Baptist preacher because I said I was done and now I've got one last thing. But if, if you haven't trusted Jesus... This is an important one, okay? If you're here today and you haven't trusted Jesus, maybe you're like me, maybe you thought, well, you know, I was when I was 10, and, but you know, I mean, your life's not showing it, right? One of those people in Matthew chapter 7 that are going to come to Jesus on the day of judgment, you're going to say, Lord, Lord, and he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. So I'm just saying, today, if you're not certain of yourself, a uh, pastor is going to come up and some other guys are going to be somebody in the back and somebody in the front, right? You look for these guys and they want to tell you about Jesus. They want to answer your questions. Maybe you're a Christian and you just need to get things right. Or maybe you've been... But today's that day. For me, it was on April 15th. Today's that day. July 17th. See them. Talk to them. Commit your life 
totally to Jesus. By the way, I know some people might be here like, man, I, I've seen too many Christians. I, I don't, I'm not asking you to accept Christians. I'm not asking you to accept religion. I'm not ex- asking you to accept a, a church even. I'm, I'm asking you to accept Jesus. Him. These guys will help you with that. Anyway, at the end of the service, I want you to do something. Just one. I want you to find somebody who is better than you and greet them, okay? Love you guys. Thanks.